Spring is in the air at Global Voice Broadcasting. Fresh new shows are hitting the airwaves every day. Shows about all the things that matter to you in your life. Music, fashion, celebs, and more. It's all here, and it's getting better every day. Only at Global Voice Broadcasting. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin. A spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. You can have a pet zebra and put that zebra into a small cage every day and tell the zebra that you love it. But no matter how you and the zebra claim to love each other, the fact remains that the zebra should be let out of the cage and should belong to someone who can treat it better the way it should be treated. Someone who can make it happy. See Joy Bell C. Amen, right? And you know what? really makes us happy? Do you know who makes us happy? We do. Ourselves. All on our own. I really, really believe that. Only then can we have the most brilliant of relationships. But of course, it's not always so simple. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, where good girls go for sexual empowerment. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and today we are going to carry on our Dating a Sociopath series with a very special guest. Dr. Wendy M. O'Connor is a licensed marriage and family therapist with a private practice right here in Southern California with over 17 years of experience. Among her many areas of specialty, she specializes in attachment with single women and young adults, helping them to develop meaning, find true love, passion, and purpose in life, and creating intention for positive change. All of that I love so much. She's also an author and educator. Uh, she has ebooks available on Amazon. Her latest books include Stay Open on Women and Secure Attachment and Teens and Technology, Helping Parents Understand Teens and Social Media, which is so important. She leads seminars and workshops that creatively address various aspects of relationships and is passionate about the issues not only of marriage and family but as uh, for adolescents couples and individuals helping them heal the past and move forward with meaning passion and purpose in life that's such a beautiful mission thank you so much for joining me dr wendy how are you doing Oh, I'm great, August. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. I love your blog. I love your, you know, your radio show. It's so wonderful, uh, the work that you're putting out there. Oh, thank you. That means a lot coming from you. And I actually found you through your wonderful website and blog. So I'm, I'm so grateful to have you. As you know, we've been doing this uh, series on dating a sociopath. I have some personal experience and some other women shared their stories last week. And it's been very interesting uh, how how open people have been and some of the commonalities and then also the unique, you know, things about each story. And we've talked a great deal about, you know, some of the warning signs that that in hindsight, you know, those of us who've been in those relationships can see. What are some of the most common kind of red flag warning signs that you come across in your practice? Well, you know, I know that a lot of people can Google and you can look up in the DSM, uh, you know, or various websites about the traits. But the number one thing I really want young women to understand, whether they're teenagers or, or women or men, actually, uh, is that your gut feeling is really important. I thought a lot about 
you know, what the most important things are to talk about for you just so that, you know, it's not repetitive. Um, although, you know, some of the basic elements are, uh, that they can be, um, uh, very charming and they move very fast in the romance department, almost obsessive, like, uh, that they cling to the relationship and kind of idealize it and put you on a pedestal and make you feel very special and what I call the magic carpet ride is that you just feel like almost like a manic feeling when you're with them and so when people are uh, sitting with someone who has a sociopathic kind of personality um, you, you know it in a way that it feels something really strong is is going on with you you feel either a very dark feeling or a very strong magnetic almost hypersexual feeling um, these people have what I call like a strong flavor that they they share uh, with with others and they kind of have a narcissistic, uh, elated sense of self. And, um, you know, they, they often come from trauma, severe abuse or trauma, as well as there's the genetic component that can happen. Interesting. And I really appreciate that magic carpet ride kind of metaphor because I remember that feeling in so many of us. I think you know, some of it might be media, the, the idea of kind of being whisked away or swept off our feet or, you know, it can be very exciting. And I actually, and I wanted to ask you this from not only a personal perspective, but other women, especially in LA, because when I moved here, I just felt like the dynamic was a bit different because the city tends to attract people who are very, you know, we have stars in our eyes or we're going after big dreams or, you know, a lot of people who just simply want to, for example, be famous. Do you think that there is a you know, a higher um, instance of these types of personalities, this personalities disorder in the entertainment business? Yes. Um, so I was born in Chicago, but I was raised in Los Angeles my whole life, and my whole family is in the entertainment field. So I grew up, and they're behind the camera, so I grew up really watching many different personalities. Um, my father is a producer and a director. My sister and my brother are also in the business. So I had years of really, um, you know, seeing firsthand uh, very special personality disorders. Uh, so it's a spectrum um, from, you know, uh, borderline personality to narcissistic, which is uh, a lot of them. And then you kind of cross over to sociopathic and, um, you know, really dark, dark areas where people, I think it's really scary because it is such smoke and mirrors in Los Angeles. Everybody's so beautiful and it's so glittery and shiny and yet behind closed doors there is some serious uh, trauma that uh, you know can spill out over a lifetime and it can come out in such subtle way sometimes it's not that really uh, aggressive kind of dark feeling that you feel um, it's almost like kind of a, a light molestation of a personality disorder before you even feel it, mm. um, if that makes any sense. Um, but yes, I think the business, I think it, it attracts uh, a lot of different personalities, and um, it's really important to educate 
the other you know people who who you know even in the dating world when you said you came out here one of the main passions i have is uh, cyber education and really uh, educating people on dating in this technology age and so you know thinking about your topic and then blending in the technology plus you know women and men who are single because it can go both ways not just women uh you know is very important to know the red flags absolutely absolutely which is uh, one reason your work is is so important and I love what you mentioned about uh, the education and also understanding the role of, of social media. Because one of my friends actually went through a relationship with someone who seems to have been um, very sociopathic. And it seemed that he had researched so much about her from her Facebook profile. And uh, I imagine that those kinds of things, sometimes when it seems like they get so much of you or understand it or, you know, are over the top pleasing that... Um, you know, that they've actually been kind of, it's more calculated than that. How do we know the difference between somebody who's like genuinely interested uh, and shares these interests or somebody who has been more investigating our lives? So that's a wonderful question. And I get that often because, uh, you know, I go to elementary schools. I try to start off really as early childhood as I can because I, I feel like the more that we get to the younger kids, uh, by the time they get to middle school and high school, we'll be able to have a baseline of what looks, whatever normal is, you know, or what looks appropriate versus the red flag. So, you know, a lot of young adults, children, adults, even in the dating single world, do the trolling or the stalkering. Um, they, they uh, you know, will everybody will Google everybody. I mean, you do any kind of Google and you can pull up anybody. Parents Google their kids, kids Google their parents and the singles world. Or, or if you look at people who are married, who are uh, experiencing infidelity, you know, everybody is an FBI agent or a CIA agent. You can pick up anything at any time. So it really is to go the back way uh, to really protect yourself and be aware of what you can do to not share, uh, you know, the information that you don't want out there. Uh, it's all about educating. But the red flag issue for sure is harassment. I think uh, someone who gets fixated on you, someone that, again, I can't stress enough how many people over the many years of therapy will come in and say, I had a gut feeling that this person creeped me out. They looked a certain way. They got fixated. They won't stop calling. Um, you know, if you have to even think about getting restraining order or you get a freaky feeling somebody's watching you, uh, you know, if you keep bumping into someone over and over again and they just kind of play dumb, uh, you know, you get that creepy predatory stare. Um, someone who messes with your reality or you feel like, wait a minute, am I crazy? Mm. When you know you're not and your friends can validate, wait, no, that feels weird to me and they get creeped out. So kind of the reputation of just sharing this person who appears to be safe, normal, and, and fine, and then all of a sudden it's just a little bit, it, it, nothing matches up. That's another red mm. flag. All their stories don't match up. The lying, uh, not taking responsibility, not being, they, they blame everybody else. Um, really the smoking mirrors, it, 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 nothing is what they say it is. 
You know, there's no evidence behind their story. So uh, the other main thing I really just wanted to also point out is that they have no relationships at all. They don't have family connections. They don't have friends. They don't even have really, they have spotty work history. Mm. So there's no connection. And all they want to do is focus on you. That is so interesting and rings very, very true, I know, for, for so many who've, who've gone through this. And uh, it's very interesting what you said about we have this gut instinct because that magnetism that can also feel, you know, kind of scary. I've heard so many women say, I was so drawn to him and at the sa- it was like mixed up with this feeling of fear. And yet we will sort of talk ourselves out of it trying to, oh, well, you know, we don't want to be rude. We don't want to be, you know, why why would I be thinking this guy is so weird when sometimes, like you said, your gut knows perhaps more than you realize, you know, that, that the gut instinct actually is pretty rational, you know, which it sounds like what you're getting at. How do we learn to kind of hone in on that, that instinct, that inner voice um, better? Well, you know, I think that social skills, uh, it used to be back in the day, I used to teach social skills to uh, kids that were diagnosed with autism or Asperger's. And now I'm teaching social skills with everyone, especially singles, um, people that are out in the dating world, uh, how to be safe. It kind of goes back to stranger danger, but all on technology. And it it talks about extending to support and making sure that your friends know where you are. Uh, The frightening thing is that everyone can connect with one little swipe now, right? Whether it's Tinder or Bumble or Coffee Meets Bagel or whatever those, you know, dating sites are out there, it's really scary because nobody, I mean, nobody takes time to get to know anyone anymore. And the girls, whether the young adults or their women in their 40s and 50s divorced and going back out in the world, will, you know, meet somebody for a cup of coffee and they go, or forget the coffee or the drink or the dinner, they go straight to a man's house. Oh, yikes. And they, they... They they just say, oh, you know, it's like that teenage mentality. It's not going to happen to me. Everything's fine. So I really kind of, you know, encourage women and men, you know, whether they're gay, they're straight, they're bisexual, it really doesn't matter. It, 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 a relationship is you've got to be safe and you have to be willing to put in the time. And in this technology era, it, it's so scary, even more than ever before. Absolutely. I just, I can't even imagine just thinking back to what it would be like to be a teenager in, in this digital age. It's it's incredible. Uh, so once once women are in, or anyone is in this relationship, uh, how how does it, the sociopathology, you know, one, either once their kind of true colors start emerging or just throughout, how can that and that narcissism play out in the bedroom as far as their uh, physical intimacy and sexual relationship? So it can be, uh, you know, uh, on or off, black or white kind of flavors. So it can be where it's really intense and all about you and that hypersexual, manicky carpet ride feeling I was saying. Um, or it can be the other way, which is extremely abusive, and it can be uh, shaming, and it can be humiliation. Um, it can be physical abuse or just psychological abuse. It can be brainwashing someone by saying, I'm the only one. 
Um, you know, uh, nobody else will have you. Uh, it could be, um, you know, isolating, um, but this, the, it could be where it's very subtle at first where the sex can be really romantic and beautiful and soft and sexy. And then it goes into a little bit more risk taking and then daring and then challenging. And before you know it, um, people are doing humiliating things that they never thought they would Mm -hmm. because they're so desperate to be loved by this very dangerous sociopath. Wow. So the gradual, and they're in the, they're in the, yeah, it's the gradual kind of, and, and, and they're in the vortex mm. so fast that they don't even know it. Um, it so it's identifying that first, that okay. this is not healthy because they keep coming up with a new baseline for what they feel. Oh, if only I just up the ante one more level, he'll love me even more. Wow. That's, it gets so complicated and we have all these, you know, hormones going on and these, we might be feeling these falling in love feelings and chemicals, which make everything kind of, Absolutely. you know, distorted. Uh, I interviewed a woman who was very brave recently. Uh, we called her Althea on my blog and she is in a relationship currently with someone who seems to be a very abusive sociopath. And she talked about trauma bonding just Lightly, She said that she feels she seems very aware of the abuse of nature, but she feels like this addiction. And I've heard that from several other women as well, that they feel they start to feel like they're somehow dependent on this toxicity. Could you could you give us a little bit of um, insight on that? Because I think it's really hard to understand if you've never experienced that. Yeah, and I I want to go back to what you said about the hormonal, uh, you know, the hormones that get flowing. I call it an oxytocin cloud. Mm. And so the more that people have sex, they release a hormone on oxytocin or dopamine that is kind of, you know, sexually bonding them. So even if you're not in love, it's that love hormone that makes you feel open and, and connecting. And so there's some bonding hormones that are going on even without you knowing Think about it. Um, But then, uh, you know, then you you think about, uh, uh, sorry, I was thinking about the oxytocin. Oh, that's okay. Um, It's very interesting what what you're explaining. Um, So I was just wondering, so that actually seems like part of it. So some of the kind of addiction can be actually happening because your physiology is becoming, yeah. Yeah. So beyond that part. Yeah, I mean, I think that when you think of early childhood trauma, whether it's physical abuse or sexual abuse or severe neglect, and then you meet someone who also had that history going on, it's almost so profound, there's no words that need to be spoken. It's just a wounded sense of self finds another uh, wounded uh, sense of self, and they, they connect in a way that, again, feels them... Uh, escalating uh, to that kind of manicky part where it feels like love, but it's not love. It's it's uh, it's just trauma uh, with trauma. Wow, that is it's not just such a scary place to be. And I know that a lot of uh, people who are in that state feel a lot of shame, especially when they start recognizing the, you know, looking back and seeing the signs and thinking, how did I let myself get to this place? And I'm wondering if that's a comment. Do you see a lot of self-shame? And and then the second part of that would be kind of how, how does one deal with that? 
Right. So it is what we call recapitulating the cycle. We're just kind of redoing early childhood trauma, uh, but we're doing it in the here and now. And we keep doing it until we decide to make a different uh, decision. And it's really hard to get out of. Um, and I see a lot of people who talk about about the shame, embarrassment, but even more so the humiliation. And again, it's out of early childhood. And so they almost have to elicit that same kind of feeling to equal love again. So, uh, so you know, again, it's about, uh, it happens so subtly. One of the things that I wanted to, I was thinking about what's a good movie that would portray a wonderful, not wonderful sociopath, but a, but a, a flavor of what it looks like so subtly. There's an incredible movie many years ago. It was called Star 80. I don't know if you saw it with Eric Roberts. I haven't, no. It's an amazing movie, and it's about a famous model, and the boyfriend becomes the manager, and he becomes obsessed, and before you know it, just watch the movie, and that's a, a good example of how subtle it can look where love turns into danger. Mm. Um, Star 80, it's a wonderful movie. I will check that out. I think it's good to see, you know, some of these examples. And knowing that that subtlety, you know, cutting ourselves some slack if we get that situation and say, you know, we can hold ourselves accountable for some or maybe there's healing that needs to be done. But also that it's not like somebody just walked up and started acting crazy in your face that it was actually, you know, sometimes very calculated, very gradual. Like you said, it's just so, so complex. Um, right. And the therapeutic aspect is to do, you know, like I work with a, uh, many people with attachment theory. And so the idea is that I am literally teaching them what secure attachment looks like. And a lot of people have no idea that it's safe and it's loving and it's caring and it's uh, mutual respect and it's eye contact and it's uh, a warm, caring, concerned feeling, you know? Um, and uh, I have to kind of pointed it out. I have to practice it. We have to role play it. What does that look like? What does that feel like? A lot of people did not get that. So if you're in a relationship with someone very dangerous, sociopathic, or narcissistic, or borderline, um, you know, you have to kind of help them to learn what that looks like, the split off parts of self caused by trauma, and help them heal those. And so the educational component is very important that's the talk part, but also the feeling. What does it feel like to feel loved and safe and cared for? And the same goes for a sexual loving experience, that sex doesn't have to include humiliation and shame and embarrassment um, and, and threats. Uh, that that was not love, that that's how you are hardwired one time due to the abuse or neglect. Um, and so you give them a different flavor and you teach them kind of how to love again. Interesting. And, you know, it's very fascinating to me because I had I actually looked up when I first uh, contacted you and you mentioned attachment and I saw that in your bio. I had to look it up because I didn't. It's just a, um, not a concept that I hear much about. And uh, it really resonates, though. And actually, uh, in my in my own experience, I I think I dated a few people on this sociopathic spectrum. I shared the most extreme one on, on my blog. But uh, when I actually met my husband, who's wonderful and very loving and, and nothing, nothing harmful or abusive, 
I had no idea. I couldn't even see any. I didn't recognize that he was interested in me because I was used to this sort of like love bombing, I guess is what some people call it, where it was just it because he was being so respectful. And it one day it just dawned on me that, oh, my gosh, I I didn't even like he would he would do things, kind things that um I didn't even know about just because he, you know, covered up. We were neighbors. He covered up a box of my stuff when I was moving because it was raining outside, you know, like late. I didn't find out till later it was him or things like living close to each other. He still would never just show up at my house. He would call me first, you know, none of that. That was so weird to me. I just thought, oh, he must have a girlfriend. He's a nice guy. You know, like I had no. It's so interesting if you don't really know so that is, I think that's really great that you're, you're, you're teaching that, you know, that's, is that something that a lot of people are, are, you said that you're teaching this to also to adults now too. Is that because of the digital age and kind of the being removed from human contact? Yes, absolutely. And again, I started early childhood, I, you know, even if I have two and a half year olds who need therapy because of anxiety or whatever it is that's going on, parenting, it just everyone needs to learn what secure attachment looks like. But, but it's also a feeling. It's a feeling of connection, inclusion. It's, it's a feeling of love, uh, worthiness good self-esteem it's it's a flavor like i said you know when someone's sitting in front of you you get that yummy wonderful like newborn you know wonderful swept away feeling uh where you're 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 feeling um total 100 percent safe and secure in the world the other attachment styles uh, of course are uh, anxious insecure, uh, ambivalent, I talk a lot about, and then avoidant. And avoidant is more on the scary, narcissistic, borderline, disorganized, uh, you know, pattern. So avoidant is really uh, a very uh, unhealthy uh, attachment style. Okay, interesting. So if we have a friend, say somebody's listening and a friend of theirs is involved in a new relationship and they see some red flags, it may even just be that love bombing I just mentioned. Like they're just being so intense and they go from, you know, a couple of dates to talking about forever or whatever. And your friend is so happy and is really excited about this relationship. Should you mention something or how do you approach that? I feel like it could be really delicate. You know, I am all about saying what the truth is. And if you've said whatever you can say and you're a loving person, you can't go wrong. Because I feel like if you say the truth and, you know, something bad happens, at least you try to stop it. But it's the people who kind of keep things inside and then they're not able to assert themselves. And then if something happens, you wish you could have, you know. And so I love to empower everyone to just say your truth. And like I said, if it's a friend, uh, a lot of times, even if they take it uh, the wrong way or they say, I never want to be friends with you, that happens often where someone does not want your feedback. At least you have stated a safety issue, and um, I think documentation is really important. A lot of people everywhere now, everything's documented, whether it's a Facebook or you know Twitter or uh, Instagram, text messages, emails. Everything has a lot of documentation, so that's one thing. Um, observation: If you meet with a friend and you have coffee with them and say, "Here's the deal. I love you so much. I care about you, but I'm just observing," and then you say A, B, and C. You know, um, use what we call 
call and there be uh, concrete evidence. Give them really specific examples of why you feel it's unsafe. Maybe you look up Wikipedia and you want to look at the, you know, the uh, definition of what a borderline personality looks like. Uh, one of my number one articles on my website, drwendyoconnor.com, is an article, Borderline Narcissistic Personality Relationship. And for some reason, people love that and they love to talk about it. And they'll, I, I think it draws a lot of borderline and narcissistic people because they share a lot of special comments, but I want to hear everybody's. But I would, I would get as many, you know, a few articles and definitely you want to give them some, some care and concern and just say, I care about you for what it's worth. This is, you know, what I, what I see and we're worried about you. We're concerned. And, um, you know, I think often sociopaths, uh, self-medicate. And so, uh, a lot of times their partners do too. So there might be some drugs or alcohol involved because they might not want to see the reality. So they might be drinking a lot or using, you know, a lot of marijuana or whatever to, uh, to not really deal with what they need to, because if people really take a look at it, they have to make decisions and that can be really hard and it can trigger uh, severe abandonment issues and rejection, which is, one of the reasons why they're probably attracted to each other in the first place. So it can be really dicey, but I would much rather be the friend to speak up and to say what the truth is and, and, you know, and hope that they listen or at least you can keep your arms open. So if they leave for a little bit, they can come right back and they know they have a safe place where you won't judge them. Um, you know, but I definitely think for people who are struggling, even in relationships to tell the story, to talk to a friend, to say, I have this gut feeling, this dark feeling, this bad feeling, or I'm feeling a little, this is, he's sweeping me away. It feels unrealistic, you know, to really just check it out with someone for sure. I think, you know, go to a therapist and um, just, you know, just check in. You don't have to go to a lifetime of therapy. You can have one or two sessions and say, I just want to run something past you and give me your thoughts about it. Uh, you know, I think you can educate yourself. There's so much information. Your blogs are wonderful. There's wonderful books. There's, you know, the movie Star 80. But there's so many movies out there. Um, House of Cards, right? They have that character. Yeah. Um, Frank. <laughs> Frank Underwood. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he's yeah I be. mean, so I, I think when people get a visual of what it looks like, so many people will come in my office and say, oh, my gosh, I saw myself on, you know, on that character, mm-hmm. on that TV show or in that movie. A lot of people will say that to me. And then that opens up the whole door for let's talk about it and let's see where you are and then let's get you some good treatment for it, you know, so that you can make different decisions that are healthier and safer for you. That is beautiful advice and, and universal. I think we could we can all learn from that, you know, just speaking the truth, really caring about our friends. And, and that way, if even if they can't see it yet, if something comes up, they probably would come to you, which is which is great. Um, I'm curious about uh, something I've heard from women who are in in the relationship and are afraid of the person. So they, they may have mixed feelings, but they're also afraid of ending the relationship because they say, you know, he will always, he'll come, he'll find me. He, you know, they're, they're afraid that either he'll, um, you know, stalk them. I've heard several people saying they were stalked afterwards, which almost seems to keep some women from, you know, kind of leaving. How can we set those safety barriers um, if we want to have that 
you know, space and heal and not be afraid? Well, okay, so there's something called identifying with the abuser. And so out of childhood, early childhood, again, trauma, PTSD, uh, it, it meets their they're, you know, they're, they're connected like a magnet and they're just hooked with each other. Um, and so that equals love to them. And so even the worst threats or, um, you know, stalking, that gut feeling, all those red flags that you know and you still can't do it. Um, you know, I think the most important thing is to not isolate because that's one of the traits of a sociopath is they want to isolate. They want to scare you. They want to evoke, you know, uh, danger and let you know that, uh, they, they are going to be tracking you and you're not to tell anyone because it stems out of secrets. Again, very scary, um, childhood secrets. So, you know, Often, when people identify with the abuser and they just don't see a way out, one of the sad things, again, is they self-medicate and then they can become, you know, suicidal. So I'm always helping people make sure you're armed with an 800 number. And I don't care if that's, you know, just a local number for counseling because they're still trained in that, but I also, you know, would prefer prepare them to have like an 800 number to a national suicide prevention lifeline. I think that's really important. Um, I think that a good plan, so a therapist, a good plan, and making them feel safe, there are wonderful resources out there that are prepared to, uh, to help women you know, in, in these situations. And the first step is they have to speak up and they have to trust. Sometimes people say, don't I need to feel hope? Don't I need to think it's possible to have freedom or it's possible to be free or, or that, I can, that I can be okay, um, that he'll never find me or whatever? And I say you don't even need to believe it. Let the therapist, let your team, let your friend, let all of us hold you through this and hold the hope until you can do it. So just keep doing the action um, because we don't want anyone to hurt you and we don't want you to hurt yourself. So safety is number one, whether you're a friend or whether you're in this relationship. If you get a feeling at all that you're in an unsafe situation, speak up to anyone. And, and you know, I say follow the breadcrumbs because you'll just go to the next action that you need to, to get to, which is safety. Beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, that is spectacular advice. I feel like so many people could hear that and just know that they could take a step. And I just am so grateful to you for this. This time I'm going to share uh, that article on your blog that you mentioned. Uh, what's So remind us again the best way to um, get to your information and to follow your work. Oh, thank you so much. So my website is uh, Doctor wendyoconnor.com and you'll also see Schwartz because Schwartz is my maiden name so if they google they'll see Schwartz and O'Connor either Jewish or Catholic I got them both <laughs> and uh, and then um, I also have a new book Stay Open and that's on women and secure attachment and dating and uh, I, the, the blog post that a lot of people are interested in on my website is on borderline narcissistic uh, relationships 
And they can also reach me. I uh, do uh, uh, global life coaching. So my number is 310-712-1230. And August, thank you so much. This is really a wonderful opportunity. And I love your work. So keep doing it. And anytime you need anything, please let me know. Wasn't she fantastic? I just am so grateful. And I hope all of you uh, who are struggling with any relationship issues right now, if you're feeling like you relate to these stories we've been sharing, that you gained some useful insight. I know I did. And I feel like so much of what she said can relate to many areas of our lives. You know, thinking about that gut instinct and learning to really trust ourselves and reaching out when we need help, speaking up to our friends when we feel like, you know, there might be something not so good going on in their relationship. It's all such important, important stuff to know. Um, I've received some awesome questions from listeners for our current sex and relationship expert, Dr. Megan Fleming, another marriage and sex therapist. I chose two of the questions for this week that are somewhat related to today's topic. So you all maybe remember uh, Crystal Rose from last week. She was in a relationship with um, an abusive sociopath and really uh, struggled afterwards with some emotional scars related to Uh, initiating sex because he had deprived her of sex, uh, using it to control her, or feeling rejected if he wasn't in the mood. So we got a question from Mary Ann, and she wrote, Dear Dr. Megan, when it comes to sex, my partner and I both have trouble initiating. My other girlfriends all initiated, so I'm not used to it, and my current partner prefers to be submissive, and I'm not exactly the dominating type. Any tips for taking the awkwardness out of initiating? Here is what Dr. Megan had to say in response. Mary Ann, I love this question because I hear it so often. For most, that feeling of being desired by your partner is one of the biggest turn-ons. And yet, for many, they do have a sexual template, like you do, and your partner does, in which you've always sort of been the one who's been pursued and or seduced. So even though I imagine you both get on board mentally with the role of taking turns initiating, your bodies don't yet have much experience in that department. So I agree, it totally can feel awkward in the beginning, But I also know that if you can get into a regular groove of having sex and taking turns, it will become a reflexive positive cycle that in time becomes effortless, effortless, as there really will be a balance that works for the both of you. But in the meantime, I'd have you think about ways that might make it sexy. How about each of you taking turns, doing a little research, getting online, and thinking about what's something new you'd like to introduce into your relationship that is a way of giving physical pleasure? And then take the option of sort of trying on roles of being dominant and submissive and then switching it up. Sometimes when we take on a role, it's a lot easier to sort of lose ourselves in that versus feeling like we're coming from our own sort of personality and character. So often we avoid what's uncomfortable or it doesn't flow effortlessly. And if you do that in sex, you'll be missing out. I can tell you that for sure. So know that you are both in this together, that you're trying on something that initially doesn't feel so reflexive and comfortable and might even feel awkward. But if you allow yourselves to feel that and keep going, the expectation isn't about how you feel in the beginning. It's about taking an effort on behalf of your relationship and your partner because you know it is what turns them on. And in the not so distant future, I really see it turning you on too. Our next question comes from Jen, who writes, Dr. Megan, I recently went through a breakup with a guy who sounds a lot like the sociopaths August has been talking about. It was very emotionally abusive. Then totally by chance, I met an amazing guy and the opposite of my scary ex. 
Everything seems to be going great, but my best friend warned me not to get too serious too fast after all that I've been through, which really made me think. Is it ever too soon to get seriously involved? If so, how will I know it's the right time? I don't want to rush things, but I also don't want to lose this guy. That's a pretty relatable question, isn't it? I think we've all been at the end of a relationship and all, all breakups are difficult, right? And especially if, if it's a really intensely difficult relationship in the beginning. Um, I've certainly been there myself, and I, I know that these thoughts from Dr. Megan will really, really help. Jen, wow. What another great question. And I must tell you, there's really no gold answer or standard. That said, here are a few things I'd like you to consider because ultimately it's about making a conscious decision that feels right to you. So it's not clear to me in your question how long the breakup had been with your ex, scary ex actually, before meeting this great guy. Because I do think that although it can feel so much easier to get busy after a breakup or distract ourselves with activities and sometimes by meeting someone new, we really do need time to mourn for all that we will miss and also that we're thankful to be leaving behind from our last relationship. It's the reason that psychologists recommend not replacing a favorite pet after their loss. Because we can cover those feelings up and really enjoy sort of the novelty and excitement and even dopamine of what's new. But there honestly is true value in giving time to heal and just to sort of mourn any loss before opening our hearts to something new or someone new. And that said, I also know that finding someone really that you care about and like doesn't come around every day. So I'm not saying to necessarily put off this new guy or put him on hold in any way. But I do think that you want to pace the intensity of this relationship so that you get to meet and talk and really get to know each other and that there's time to see if any sort of yellow or red lights or sort of flags come up that might emerge and might help you to sort of carefully evaluate and notice and think about how that uh, will pan out as the relationship would progress over time. And the other thing I'd want to mention is what I call the pendulum swing, because sometimes when we meet a new partner, it's so refreshing because they have a quality or don't have a quality that's 180 degrees from what was most troubling in our last relationship. And anything that is, however, so extreme usually has another side to it that you may not yet know, and you definitely want to take your time to figure out if it really works for you. So I'll give you an example. I have a client who broke up uh, with her boyfriend because he was, became to her, felt very needy and insecure. And this new guy was so amazing and, you know, he was strong and independent and self-reliant. And all that was fabulous in the beginning of the relationship. Over time, she felt that there was this sort of lack of availability and emotional connection. And now sort of months in and sort of the sex is beginning to fade, she's really wondering whether or not that works for her either. So I hope this answer gives you some questions to ponder because it is in my heart that I know if you do slow down to listen to your heart, mind, and spirit, they will have the wisdom to guide you in this new relationship. I love, 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 love that. That statement at the end, if you slow down enough to listen to your heart, mind, and spirit, they will have the wisdom to guide you. We can all take that to heart, right? I'm going to leave you guys today with part of one of my favorite poems, which inspired me a whole lot when I was getting out of an emotionally abusive relationship. Um, It's called I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings by the late and brilliant Dr. Maya Angelou. I just changed a few pronouns for all you beautiful winged women out there. 
The free bird leaps on the back of the wind and floats downstream till the current ends and dips her wings in the orange sun rays and dares to claim the sky. But a bird that stalks down his narrow cage can seldom see through his bars of rage. His wings are clipped and his feet are tied, so he opens his throat to sing. The caged bird sings with fearful trill of the things unknown but longed for still, and his tune is heard on the distant hill, for the caged bird sings of freedom. The free bird thinks of another breeze, and the trade winds soft through the sighing trees, and the fat worms waiting on a dawn-bright lawn, and she names the sky her own. Isn't that beautiful? To read the full poem, you can find a link on my website with the show notes. You will also find more information from our experts, the fabulous Dr. Wendy and Dr. Megan, their, their websites and some helpful related articles that might be good kind of takeaways to go along with the show. I hope you'll also join the Girl Boner community online. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mygirlboner. You can also follow me on Twitter and subscribe to the show on iTunes if you haven't yet. If you like what you hear, we really appreciate those simple reviews. But most importantly, here is to naming the sky our own. I love that concept. If you're in a dark place, I hope something you've heard over these past couple of weeks from these brave women who've shared their stories, from these wonderful experts, will shed some light in your world. Thank you so much for listening, and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week. You were only waiting for this moment to Bird singing in the dead of night Take these sunken eyes and learn to see All your life You were only waiting for this moment